Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, emotion regulation, resilience. I have a fantastic uh, guest with us today. We are going to be talking about lots of different things, but looking at learning responsible behaviors and the importance of emotions. It's Joanne Williams. She is a licensed social worker who's been in the mental health field for over 30 years, transforming clients' lives with inspired, simplified, energetic techniques. She guides her clients straight to their goals with her own next-generation methods designed around the alignment formula. And it always works because it's based on universal principles that are guaranteed to work, whether in business, relationships, or in life, or rerouting old thought habits from your emotional brain wired to protect you. Her specialties are anxiety and trauma, which is why she's on the show today, and uh, certifying for psychiatric service dogs. She loves to empower people to live their purpose and is so grateful to be on the show. So I look forward to sharing our wonderful conversation with you. Enjoy. So thank you, Joanne, for joining me on the show today. It's lovely having you. Well, thank you, Caroline. Nice to be here. Why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, I have been um, a licensed mental health professional for over 30 years. And, you know, kind of feel like seeing it all. And I feel like I've broken down some main themes and I love to present those in ways that, because what I, what I see is a lot of times education is, is lacking about emotions. And so that feels like where my focus has been and really my life passion. And so that's why I also do a podcast and a radio show, because I just feel like it's time to shout it out from the rooftops about how to help our kids, families, and parents or professionals, how to manage anxiety and, and, and really all emotions better. Absolutely. Well, it's so important. I think our kids, if they're going to learn anything, it's, you know, (laughs) emotion regulation and emotional intelligence and all this. So let's jump in. Where do you want to start? Well, one of the things I always love to teach, especially if I start with a client and even a, 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 an adult or a older, younger person, and I always like to start with their understanding what emotions are for, or why do we have them, or how can you use them? Because I find that is one of the most confusing things for most people. Like I said, it was just not taught. And so I love to teach about each emotion having a message and learning these. And I did a whole podcast, 125 on that, Anxiety Simplified, because it's just like, each one of them has, they're just trying to tell you something. They're not trying to ruin your life. (laughs) They're not trying to take you down. It's, they're really just trying to help you. And I think that's such a misperception. It really is because so many people want to have this emotion gone. I want to get rid of my anxiety. I don't want to have anger anymore, but those emotions are so important. They're adaptive. You know, we need to be able to listen to them. Um, And so, I I mean, looking at anger, because I know that that can be a good one, you know, how can anger, you know, set a boundary by saying no, is it like, maybe we can kind of talk about that. I love it because that to me is probably the biggest (laughs) emotion that gets confused because I think what I hear most from clients is that 
oh, don't have anger because that's abuse. Oh, that's rage. Somebody's going to get hurt. Or that's when bad things happen. And yeah, and that's when I do teach. No, it's just for you to understand where the line is drawn. And when it's important for you to be able to stand up for yourself and say, no, this is not okay, friends, whatever. I need, I can't do this like this. Or I, I always use the example, if somebody was stealing a stapler off your desk at work, you don't say anything. You know, they will continue to do the behaviors until you kindly even, I call it assertively say, please don't take my stapler off my desk again, or I'll have to go. And I like the, or what the consequence is, or I'll have to go to the supervisor. And so they know a very clear consequence if they do it again. So if they do, you must follow through (laughs) and do something about it. But I just feel like, yes, it's a boundary. It's just to say no to something. And just the same with, even if you don't want to go to the Italian restaurant, you'd rather go to the Chinese. Being truthful about that and saying, no, I really prefer tonight to do this. You're standing up for your needs because Mm -hmm. if you're not going to stand up for your needs, who's going to? Absolutely. And that's so important for children, for teens, for adults all the time. We're talking about, actually, there's been a common theme across both of my podcasts around setting boundaries. And I think that this Ah. is huge. And anger does tell us that something needs to be defended. It could be our stapler. It could be our values. It could be (laughs) someone that we love. Like there's so many different things. So why is that word no so important? And why is it important to, to respect it? Right? Yeah. And, and, and that's why I think it's just so misunderstood. To me, it's equated with violence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the real importance is that I feel like with gun violence thing, if you could just use your words, please, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like we say to our little children, just use your words, but it doesn't come out like that. It The no is not respected a lot of times. And people just, you know, just go to a higher level of rage or intimidation or bullying. And I think that's why it's got such a bad rap because they think, I I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the bully. I don't want to just break somebody down, you know, and say, and and it doesn't need to be when you can learn to say it with assertiveness, with intention, because Mm -hmm. it's just like you're putting out this energy that people go, oh, okay, I'm backing off. You don't have to get rageful. It just has to be with clarity and intensity. Right. And then with the consequence, follow-up is so good, especially for all of my parents who are listening, because oftentimes we get angry and then we punish and then children are now escalated and they're fighting back. And it's not fair because this consequence, this punishment was thrown on them. They had no choice to, they didn't know how to behave differently in that moment or nor did they know the consequences so that we kind of give them that piece. And I know I don't know if you do anything with nonviolent communication. They've got the ladder sort of hierarchy and it starts with, you know, at the very bottom, it is the physical aggression where we are hurting other people. And then when we move up, it's better. We're moving up or a little bit more uh, de-escalated, but you know, it's we're Uh, hurting objects. So there's still aggression. So maybe we're ripping a page out of a book or throwing something across the room. One step up from that, we're using our language, right? We're not using physical aggression. We're using our words. It might be yelly words. It might be hurtful words, but we're still using our words. It's still better than hurting somebody physically. And then, you know, the ultimate stage is exactly what you were talking about, being able to use our words uh, assertively and 
you know, just to protect that boundary for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Really. You know, the thing I hear too with whether it's parenting or even dog training, <laughs> in the sense that, you know, some people say no, but don't tell them what to do. Like a dog, you say no, but well, okay, now what do I do? Same with a child. You keep saying the word no, but it doesn't educate them. What do you want for them? You need to tell them clearly. No, do not jump on the couch. You need to set your butt in the couch if you want to watch TV, you know, so it needs to be a clear, what do I do? And I, you know, I do certification for people who want to have a psychiatric service dog. So a lot of times I'm talking about training and it's like, it's the same thing. If you don't, if you don't understand the rules kind of of behavioral training of whatever kind, it's impossible. And then people get mad at the dog. (laughs) because they don't cooperate or mad at the child because they don't cooperate, but you're not telling them what it is you want. I just find kids want to please same with an animal. They just want to please you so badly, but they just get angry or they get confused. It's like, I don't know what to do. And it kind of shuts them down. And I, it just, it makes me sad. It does. see that. Yeah, because they want to they wanna do good and they are good when they can be good. And if something else is going on and they're not following through, it's because something else is going on and, you know, to, to make it hard for them. So once we know, you know, our emotions are adaptive, they're telling us a signal, we need to listen to that to understand what what's the next piece? Then we have to use them <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. put them into our life and build skills and how to do that. Because we have a subconscious process going on all the time that we've done something over and over and over and over and over again as a pattern. And so we have to repattern things. So we have to kind of go back and look at, again, what would be a better response? And that takes some practice. It's because you can't do it in the, you know, on the fly or in the moment, like, oh, this is happening. Oh yeah. You know, you have to practice it usually outside of that. And so to me, it's about practicing, noticing your thoughts first Mm -hmm. that are creating that emotion. And that's the same way that I just kind of talked about. If you're not aware and noticing again, your intention for the child or the dog you're not clear at all. But if you're clear with the thought, I really want you to get this. And I got to say it in a way that you can understand it. It helps you and them to get on the same page with it. So going back and saying, okay, we're going to redo this until we both feel good about it and create a bit win-win that you can feel good and I can feel good, but it's practice. Right. Yeah. And and what would you do? Like, how would you build that skill? Is it mindfulness training? How would one, you know, just get in tap with repattern, repatterning? Well, one of the things that I have, as I call a freebie, that you can share with your guests, I call it three secrets that move you out of that fear or that stuck place so that you really can understand this and practice it over and over again. But to me, it all starts with awareness. You've got to start being aware of what you are thinking in that moment that's getting you into that emotion and look for what you really want that to happen in that moment. And that will guide you. And um, this three steps really guide you on how to get to some of those things that you truly want to be doing in your life. 
because a lot of the other things are just so, um, we've done them so many times. They, you just don't think about them anymore. So the awareness makes you kind of come back to think about it. And then you, once you know what that feel, the thought will change the feeling. So once you have a thought that creates more calm, if I want more calm in this conversation, what is the thought and the way I would do that? So I would have to maybe breathe for a moment and get myself so I can feel a little calmer. And then, all right, what do I want? I want to have a really good conversation with you. So what's the thought is you might even start it with, forgive me. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing right now with this, but I want to have a good conversation with you. And maybe if you're talking to a, a, a professional or even a child, can you help me right now? How can we have a really good conversation about changing how to clean your room, how to keep this going productivity on your team? It's like having this shared conversation about it. And then you kind of have to promise you will take these steps together or each of you will go to your team and we promise we will do this and continue to practice this until you get the results you want. And if you don't, then you got to start back at the top. Look at that thought that's not going where you wanted to and change it. But like I said, I just feel like you got to also expect it to work. <laughs> you right. can't be thinking, oh, this is stupid. How am I ever going to get them to do what I want? Well, that's probably not the right attitude. So you yeah. really have to look at the, all the dimensions of what you're doing right? and how you're doing it. Do you have an example that you could provide just to kind of make that a little bit more applicable for, or, or concrete for people listening? Sure. Yeah. Let's, with, what realm would you like to take this in? Is it more um, parent? Would you like it professional? Would you like it with a client? Yeah, let's do parents. Parents. Yeah, yeah I think that okay. that would be good. That would be helpful okay. and, and applicable to so many people for sure. Okay. So for a parent, let's say, let's pick a behavior that is not going, doing, how about getting your homework done? That seems like always <laughs> a hard one. That sounds um, great. <laughs> so, all right. So this is, it's not working. Whatever you've been doing has not been working to get your child to get there. And I, I would assume too, you want them to be, um, having the initiative. You want them to be doing this, maybe not you harping on them. How are you doing your homework? So if that's the case, then the parent needs to decide in this moment, what is, what is the best for me and them? So if it's going to be like, let's make a deal <laughs> and maybe something like that. So you say to your child, I really would like for you to be able to get your, your homework done before you watch TV or before you go outside to play, they have to agree. And so there has to be kind of an agreement. And that's where the thought starts. When you both agree, we are going to agree that we're going to get our, you're going to get your homework done or we're, if you need help, you're going to ask me. But there's, there's where it starts with the thought. We agree that you're going to get your homework done. And there, and then the consequences kind of weaved into this which is always to me important. So that if they haven't got it done, they don't go outside or they don't watch TV. And so they agree. And to me, if you can get them to agree, that's the half of the battle. And then think about the emotion of the harping that had happened before. You're just like, I am so tired. I just want them to get it done. So I hear frustration as the emotion. So the thought that is creating it is I just, I don't want to deal with this. And so you're going to have to change that thought. 
and uh, and something like we're going to work together and we're going to figure this out to get that calmer. Oh my gosh, this is great. Thank you so much for getting this done without me harping on you. And you may even add an added benefit into it. Like if you can do this for three to five days, oh my gosh, let's go to the movies and see whatever you want, you know, or get that new game or, you know, something like that, but it needs to be reinforced and always reinforcing when they're doing it right instead of when they're doing it wrong and keep practicing this action. Which is so important because we got to teach their brain. And so they're creating new patterns in their own brain that this behavior actually is worth my while, even if it's boring and I'd rather be doing something else. So that reinforcement is definitely so critical. So I'm glad that you were able to highlight that. You know, and the opposite though is true. Also, I'm going to say the harping on them to get it done might get their attention get attention. So we have to be so careful as parents that negative attention might be worth it because if they feel ignored, if they don't feel listened to, that's okay. I'm getting their attention and maybe she'll bring me cookies. So I do it, (laughs) you know, so who knows? Well, there's so many things. So the negative attention, now they're getting attention. So we're reinforcing the behavior, but there could also be negative reinforcement. I want you to stop harping at me. It's so I will do it to get rid of that negative stimuli, right? So there's so many different things, but we want to make sure we're re- rewarding the, the the behavior we actually want to see at the end of the day, right? And so, yeah. and I'm always saying we get more of what we give attention to. So if we're always harping, we're going to always be harping. <laughs> so, and then we blame yeah. them for having to harp. And oh, that right. just again breaks my heart. That's why I take this back to dog training sometimes, because sometimes it's easier for parents to see it than their children. But if you've ever trained a dog, if you're if you're literally reinforcing their barking when you want them to stop barking by stop barking. (laughs) No, you know, it's not going to work. So you're going to have to figure out some other way to reinforce when they're doing it right, whether given them the treat when they're sitting and staying and being correct. It is. I think sometimes that's why I go to that analogy. Sometimes people get that. Oh yeah, I've trained a dog and yeah, it didn't work. Did it? (laughs) If I just yell at them. Yeah, that's so true. Well, I know there was other things, you know, that we were going to talk about today, Um, you know, comparison, responsible behaviors. Uh I I don't know. What what do you think would be most helpful if we were to kind of switch gears here a little bit? Well, you know, I I really do want to get to responsible behavior because Mm -hmm. and the mental health crisis. I think that would be the other thing, because to me, this is not getting better. (laughs) It is getting worse. But Um, So I definitely want to speak to that, but teaching responsible behavior, I feel like is to me the goal of parenting and, and I'm sure for teachers as well, because what do we want in our society, our families, do we want irresponsible children doing things because they just want to. (laughs) It's not about helping the family. It's not about looking at society at large, their effect on them. And I, I started this with my children who are now in their forties when I had two under four, two children under, um, four years old. And I was pulling my hair out. I was in my twenties and I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. And my, my sister-in-law, who was a teacher, gave me this book. It was called Children, the Challenge by Rudolf Dreikers. And I can't find the book anymore. I mean, it's old. 
And, but that's what it was teaching that if you, that is your main goal. And even going back to the homework scenario we were talking about, that's what we're teaching the child to be responsible for doing their own homework or getting to school on time or getting to work on time. That's the goal to me, instead of just teaching um, productivity, getting it done and hurrying up and who cares about the quality of it. Is this going to make you proud of yourself? Is that going to make your family happy that you're succeeding at, at, at moving ahead in life in a responsible way towards your values. And really to me, it, it's just the crux of, I think all the things going wrong <laughs> in our society is that people are not able to critically think or look at how their behavior affects other people. And if you're not looking at that, I think that's where we're going wrong and just giving children things or neglecting them. Either one of those realms, either either spectrum is not going to be teaching responsible behavior. So I feel really strongly about that one. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, this is perfect timing because we're just going to be wrapping up um, the past couple of weeks, critical thinking, right? And, uh -huh. and sort of building those skills. So- Mm -hmm. Good. It's so it's so important because how are we supposed to problem solve at work or problem solve anywhere if you're not able to see pros and cons or other ways or or even think out of the box with innovation? I think that to me is one of our benefits in the, living in the U.S. is that we usually cherish innovation. And if you're constrained because you're afraid somebody's going to yell at you, <laughs> you know, it's not going to help you being or, or able to critically think. So that will shut you down in that sense, because I'm afraid I'm doing something wrong. I'm bad, you know, and so we don't want to ever teach that. Right. So what would some of these responsible behaviors be? And what, you know, what are some steps that parents can do to help their kiddos develop them? I think we've named some of them. One of them oh, yeah. absolutely would be uh, catching them doing something right and right. reinforcing it um, because you're showing them what you want, Right. that this is important for our family. Look how you're looking out for your little sister. Look how you're caring about the whole family by saying something about something that's happening in the family or that I just really went tacos tonight. You know, you're showing that you're putting some input into what your needs and wants are. And I think that's a wonderful skill even for parents to have kids be responsible for a meal, maybe not cooking the whole thing, but talking about as a family, what can you do <laughs> to add to to the family's whatever vacation or the, the um, meals. And even if it's just telling them what they want, maybe it is going to grocery store and adding to the cart only the good, healthy things that would add to the whole health of the family. But I think that it's just really pointing things out and saying, what a good job. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for, you know, really being you and showing up for all of us as you. Right. Something like that. And I, I know, I mean, generally, I think people know they're supposed to do like three to one, three corrective or, or sorry, three positive pieces of 
uh, feedback for one corrective feedback, but it's actually 15 to one. I don't think that adults, (laughs) that's what the new research. Yeah. So it kind of went up to five and then nine, but ultimately we're really seeing 15 to one because we're, our brain always goes to the negative, right? If you've written a test and you get 98%, we're flipping right to you know, the question that we got wrong that pulled our grade down from, from perfect. So our brain is always picking up and making those associations, right. Which is helpful for learning. However, (laughs) at what cost? And so a lot of children these days, and I think, you know, there is a mental health crisis, especially among our parents as well. They are also stressed. And so it's hard to see the good. It's so easy to see all the things that are going wrong throughout our day. And so if we're always, Oh, And even if we're nice about it, oh, you know, Susie, where do your shoes go? Oh, go hang up your jacket, kiddo. Where do you got to put your dishes into the dishwasher? We're just naggy, naggy, nag, And kids are feeling like they can't do anything, even though there's probably a million little moments of great things that they're doing. And so I think that just kind of full loop brings us back to being aware of our own stress and what's going on for us, being intentional of how we want to interact. But really being mindful of that 15 to one, it's hard. I don't think I've ever been able to do that. (laughs) It's really, really hard, but I I see it sort of as an aspirational goal, but, but truly that's what it takes for kids to actually hear those positives. And, you know, this is going to go fit right back into social media and the I'm going to call it the negative reinforcement of comparing yeah. because if, if they are looking at their phone, some <laughs> I saw it on some show that these parents and kids, and I guess on some phones, you can see how many times they're picking up their phone. And it was something like 200 times <laughs> in the day that they're checking to see if they've got likes or not, or if somebody is saying something negative. So this is that comparing that can really tear down self-esteem. And I think we've, you know, there's some really good research. It's, I don't think it's a secret anymore about how social media affects our children or society in general. But to me, it's just a death sentence because it it's just it's it's almost like an addiction. I really compare it, it to like it addictive qualities, the same kind of addict I have to, or I'm getting all wired up and I till they get the hit of the looking at it. But it to me it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because when I look at all this negative, what am I doing but just putting it back? I must be not as good. I can't compare, I can't add up. And again, I think that's where parents are overwhelmed mm-hmm. <laughs> without some support from the apps themselves or from um, even society reinforcing, let's stop the comparing. Let's say to our kids, I guess some ki- some schools now are saying no phones in schools and they are actually finding grades going up because, and the kids will say, Oh yeah. Cause I have to see if somebody's saying negative about or bullying me right now, or is there a meme up about me? And so it's stopping some of this negative reinforcement of other kids saying mean things or comparing in some way. I, I just, and I really feel bad for kids and they're not just kids, young adults or adults that have bought into that because yeah. to me, it's just a whole marketing ploy 
And they've done such a good job to hit the dopamine button in our brain to give us a hit. And it just keeps us coming back for more that it's, it's going to be a real hard trip to get this back into some kind of harmony or balance. Yeah, it is. Well, when they first, you know, I think the re- it was around 2007, 2009. So when smartphones were still you know, just becoming popular, yes. they were banned, like 90 something percent of schools banned yes. them. And then, you know, moved to 2015, when we saw a huge increase in anxiety, suicidal ideation, death by suicide, uh, schools actually started decreasing those bans, but we are seeing that increase rise. But even when the phone is off, if it's in their backpack and their phone is yeah. off, their brain is still scanning, thinking, thinking, yeah. thinking, and it's oh. not engaged with learning, you know? And so yeah. I, I agree. I mean, we could go on a whole other rant about that topic. We could. So, yeah. but it's huge. And I, th- you know, I, I, I always am talking about it because we definitely want to bring the awareness to parents. Um, the one thing that I would love to maybe end on, unless there's anything else you want to add in, was just the importance of finding one friend that understand. I know. I think that that's so important. The studies have consistently shown that if a person, I don't care if you're a child or an adult, has one supportive person even in their life that gives them that unconditional support and unconditional love, it can be life-changing. And if you can keep that friend for a while, you know, sometimes things change, people move away. But if you can keep that friend and keep it so that that relationship is always a two-way street, a win-win for them and a win for you, so that you can have this support, unconditional, there's no conditions on how I support you, what you do in your life. I think that one thing would help all of these things because most, I think most of this crisis is from kids not feeling that they are supported and accepted exactly the way they are. I'm always talking about having one charismatic adult even, you know, in their life. It could be the school janitor. It doesn't even matter who that is, where they just feel safe and to be whoever they are. Yeah, I love that. Well, I mean, there's, again, we could be talking for hours about so many different things. This has been great. Uh, Any last minute? You know, there's one thing I would add, and this could be for child adult professional. Gratitude journaling has now, it's a simple practice that can even be in your done in your head or done once a week, one to three times if you write it down, but they showed a 19% lowering of depression. Mm-hmm. because it refocuses, like I was saying, those negative thoughts onto positive ones, 25% less intake of our need for intake of di- dietary fat, not emotional eating, 10% lowering in uh, insomnia wow. and increasing significant resilience. So, I mean, all of those are huge and all what we're talking about for kids and, and doing it with your child, maybe before you go to bed, what five things are you grateful for? And you got to mean it. You got to feel it. You got to get it to your heart center. And I think that one thing could really change almost all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Did you ever hear of the magic? No. It's the same people who did um, 
Oh, I can't remember what it's called, but the vision board, like law of attraction. It was the same people who did law of attraction, all of that stuff. You know, I never bought into that, but, but, but the magic, I loved it. It was all about gratitude. And so they had to practice one practice every single day. I mean, you build on it. It does get to be a lot, but even if you just focused on the one key piece, yeah, it really can be transformational in so many areas. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I, I think I, I could probably have you again in the future. Yeah. Those, lots of lots of different things to talk about. So uh, yes, where can our listeners, I'll put it all in the show notes, but just for those okay. listening right now, where can everyone find you? Yes. Cause there is that refocusing on what it is you want more of. There is a little freebie there that really can help you focus on what you want, but you can find me. I actually have two websites, but one, if anybody is interested in getting an emotional support or a psychiatric service dog that they can take with them to fly or go into more places to feel calmer and with less anxiety, that website is, is ESA pros, E-S-A-P-R-O-S.com. And there's a whole thing about whether you can pre-qualify in those, but I just find animals can be really helpful, especially with people that have entrenched emotional issues, depression, deep panic, PTSD, or autism. It can really, really be life-changing. So that's one way. And I have also anxietysimplified.com, which is my podcast and Anxiety Simplified podcast on YouTube also, and I have a radio show. So all of that will be also in the show notes, or you can be found on anxietysimplified.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It was great having you. Thank you very much. 